All right, we are in week three of our series, The Friends of Jesus, and we've just been taking a deeper dive uh, and look at the lesser known friends of Jesus. Maybe folks, you've seen their name in the, in, in the Gospels, but you didn't know exactly who they were. Uh, week one, we talked about Andrew, and if you remember, Andrew was always introducing people to Jesus. He was kind of a natural evangelist, and he loved to just introduce folks to the Messiah. Last week, we looked at at Philip, and maybe you could relate to Philip. Philip is the, the pragmatic one in the crowd. He's the accountant type uh, that was kind of looking at the dollars and cents and the cost. And he was the kind that wants proof and he wanted to uh, see evidence, you know, in order for him to believe. And uh, so it's been fun to see them. We're going to look at a new one today in just a moment, a new character in the narrative of Christ's life. But before we jump into that, let me ask you are you the type of the a person who likes the genuine article, I mean the real deal, uh, maybe the brand name item, or are you the kind that is perfectly content with the off name, maybe the generic version? Uh, Let me put it to you this way. Ladies, would you rather have a coach purse or a couch purse? (laughs) (laughs) One letter difference, but uh, probably most would say I prefer a, a coach purse. Why? Well, we value the authentic article. We, we value authenticity. Uh, we want the genuine artifact, not some knockoff brand that's going to break, uh, wear out, fade, and fall apart. The reality is we live in a world of imposters. We live in a world uh, where uh, fake has become norm. Uh, it's interesting. I mean, you know, we've seen all kinds of discussion as Elon Musk is looking to buy Twitter and they're finding out that there are all these fake accounts that are just actually robots that aren't real people. And, and uh, that's the world in which we live. We, we live in a world where we have to buy software to protect ourselves from identity theft and people that are, that are trying to represent us. I had somebody try and open up a, a, a credit card in my name a couple weeks ago. And uh, when, when the bank called to verify, they said, just so you know, they have all your information. You know, they, they filled out everything and it was all accurate. Uh, so, I mean, this is the world that we live. It costs billions of dollars a year just to protect our own identity. Scam artists are just trying to steal our uh, identity and make money pretending to be us. They're imposters. There's another group of imposters that have not only invaded the country, but have invaded the church. Some could be in the room this morning. You say, well, who are they? Well, they're people who have, over time, they've learned to, they, they've learned the Christian walk, they've learned the Christian talked, they've learned to act like Christians, but they've never truly had a life-changing experience with Jesus Christ. Maybe they grew up in church, but they've never really known Jesus, they just learned the church behavior. They've learned to look like Christians, but there's never been this internal transformation through a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. And the same kind of thing was happening 2,000 years ago in the days of Jesus. There were, there were Jews who were really good at putting on a show, making other people think that they were really devout followers of God, but the reality is they were imposters. They were not genuine. And when Jesus was alive on earth, he exposed their hypocrisy. He went into their synagogues and he, 
And he taught them and he confronted them on the streets. And so uh, if you have your Bibles, Matthew 23, verse 25, uh, you can follow along on our app if you'd like to. Uh, Jesus said, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Let's pray. Heavenly Fathers, we read the words of Jesus this morning. God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, that each one of us would take some time this morning to evaluate our own lives. God, I pray if there's anyone here today that uh, needs to hear this, God, that you would open their eyes, their ears, and their hearts to the truth. Uh, Father, just speak through me, I pray. God, these good folks have come to hear from you today, not from me. So may I fade into the background, God. May your word go forth. May your Holy Spirit uh, just, just speak to the hearts of your people. So Lord, we just dedicate this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So it's in the midst of this hypocritical environment that we meet the apostle Nathaniel. Some, some passages refer to him as Bartholomew. Perhaps you've heard of him. Really, I believe Bartholomew's, Bar- Bartholomew is what's known as a, a patronymic. Uh, it's kind of like Simon Barjona. Well, the Barjona just means Simon, son of John. Barjona means son of John. Bartholomew probably just literally means son of Ptolemy. So in all likelihood, his name was Nathaniel. That's his first name, his common name, but he was really the son of Ptolemy. So sometimes if he's called Bartholomew, he's just being saying, hey, you're the son of Ptolemy, or sometimes he's referred to Nathaniel, which is his given name. So anyhow, either way you look at it, we're dealing with the same person here. He was born and raised in the, in the town of Cana in Galilee. This is the place where Jesus performed his first miracle, turning water into wine. Cana was in close proximity to Nazareth, which was the hometown of Jesus. Philip, as we discussed last week, is the person who is responsible for introducing Nathanael to Jesus. We find this in John chapter 1, verse 43. The following day, Jesus went to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, if you think of the hypocritical environment that I talked about just a few moments ago where Jesus was talking about all the the Pharisees and, and the religious leaders of the day, I want you to pay close attention to what Jesus said about Nathanael in verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. Jesus said, there's an Israelite with no deceit. In other words, here comes a guy that's the real deal. This guy is authentic. This guy is genuine. He wasn't fake. He wasn't phony. He really did believe in God, and Jesus pointed that out. Now, upon hearing that, Nathaniel probably was like, what, what, what's going on here? In fact, Nathaniel says in verse 48, Nathaniel said to him, 
how do you know me? Remember, they'd never met. Jesus says, look, here comes the guy that's the real deal. And Nathaniel's like, how do you even know me? How, do you, how can you make a statement like that when we've never even met? Nathaniel was a little bit confused. And so Jesus further blows Nathaniel's mind by responding in verse 48. Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, by doing this, Jesus was declaring and revealing his deity to Nathaniel. He was showing the fact that he was God, that he was omniscient. He was everywhere present. Nathaniel was out under a fig tree. No one could have known he was there. No one could have seen him. Mind you, this was the days. There, there weren't video cameras. There weren't phones. There weren't, there weren't any kind of electronic gadgetry that would cue Jesus in. Jesus is in another city, and somehow he saw that Nathaniel was out under a fig tree. Let me set the stage here for just a little bit. The houses in that culture often were one-room affairs, not too, too big. Um, most of the cooking would be done in the house. And so even in the hot summer days, there would still be a fire uh, in the stove, kind of creating that smoky, hot environment. So if you wanted to study, if you wanted to pray, if you wanted some alone time, often what you would do is you would go outside and you would sit under a tree. Uh, there, weren't, there wasn't air conditioning back in those days. There was no place to go to cool off. And so sitting under the shade of a tree was about the best that you could do. And fig trees were especially good because they only grew to about 15 feet in height, but they, but they had a shade area of about 30 feet. And so a lot of people would have a fig tree and they would go out and they would sit under it. So if you wanted to get away from the noise of the house, you wanted to get away from the smoke and the heat, you would go out and sit under the shade of the tree. And this was an ideal atmosphere for meditation, for reflection, for solitude, for pondering, for praying. And that's probably what occurred in the day that Jesus saw Nathaniel. Nathaniel had probably gone out to spend time under the fig tree, perhaps reading scripture, quoting scripture, remembering scripture, spending time in prayer to God. I believe that Jesus not only saw where Nathaniel was, I believe that Jesus knew what Nathaniel was doing, which is what revealed to Jesus that this is the real deal. He really has faith in God. Verse 49, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. So Nathaniel realized well, there's no way you could have known that unless you were God. And so he, he just made this, uh, he, he made this amazing proclamation of faith in Christ when he recognized the deity of Jesus. I want to take just a few moments this morning and just, just look at the sincerity of, of, Nathan's, of, of Nathaniel's heart. I want you to notice the things in his life that Jesus commended things that were important to Jesus and, quite frankly, should be important to us today. So I want to just give you three commendable attributes of a follower of God. Number one, it's to be a person of character. Be a person of character. In John 147, Jesus called Nathaniel an Israelite indeed. 
He wasn't like so many of the Israelites that Jesus had met on the streets. He was an Israelite indeed. That word indeed in Greek is the word uh, alethos, and it it literally means truly or genuinely. Jesus was not referring to Nathaniel's physical descent from Abraham. He was talking about the fact that in his heart, he was a true believer in God. Unlike the other hypocrites, Nathaniel, Nathaniel had a genuine faith in God. Today, we would say that he was a man of character. He was the real deal. John said, Jesus said in John eight thirty one, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. There it is again, alethos. You are genuine. You spend time with God. If you are a follower of Christ, Jesus said, you'll spend time in my word. Jesus wants us to let the word of God penetrate our hearts, infiltrate our lives to the point that we become men and women of God, true and genuine followers of Jesus Christ. But we live in an era and a day when there's a crisis of character in our churches. There are so many people that have seen phony Christians in our pews those who've learned the lingo, that have mimicked the walk, that have prayed the insurance prayer, but have never truly experienced the life-changing power of salvation. Those who on the outside look like good church people, but on the inside they've never had a true conversion. They've never truly put their faith in Christ. What is the evidence of a a true conversion, of a true faith? Well, your life begins to change. Not before you get saved. You don't don't change to get saved. You, You get saved. You put your faith in Christ, and then his Holy Spirit begins to work in your life, and change starts to happen. Your desires begin to change. Your behaviors begin to change. Your habits begin to change. Your language begins to change. Your eternal destiny changes. Amen? Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. All things have become new. Life changes. Not some things, not most things, not a, not a few minor disruptions here and there. Your life changes when you put your faith in Christ. True faith in Jesus changes a person from the inside out. You become part of God's family. The song that we learned this morning, we become a royal priesthood. We become sons and daughters of God. We're a child of the king. Romans 8, verse 13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus, if indeed we suffer with him, that we also may be glorified together. Folks, if we're going to reach people in this community, if we're going to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, if our church is going to spark a movement of God in this community, then the people need to see authentic Christianity lived out in the lives of our people. Amen? Amen. 
The reality is the church in America is shrinking to the place that we are almost going to become irrelevant to the majority of people. CBS News put out an article this week, just a couple days ago. This is the title of the article. Christianity in the U.S. is quickly shrinking and may no longer be the majority religion within just a few decades, research finds. Of course, that article piqued my interest when I saw it, and I read it. It said, as recently as the early 1990s, about 90% of U.S. adults identified as Christians. In 2007, the share was at 78%, and today it is at 64%. And the percentage of those who identify as the religious nuns, those who have no religious affiliation, has grown from 16% to 29%. They're saying that by 2030, we could be under 50% of the population identifying as Christians. What has happened to the church that has caused us to become so irrelevant to the people? I believe people are leaving church because they're disillusioned and they're disenfranchised by the church, even those who claim to be church leaders. We're experiencing a crisis of character. The reality is those on the outside look at us and say that we're phonies, that we're fake, that we're no different than them on Monday, even though we go to church on Sunday. But we live, act, talk just like them the rest of the week. We need a revival to sweep through the churches in America. We need wholesale repentance from the pastors in the pulpits to the people in the pews across the board. According to an article in the Christian Post this week, at least a third of senior pastors in the United States believe that one can earn a place in heaven by simply being a good person, according to a nationwide survey. That is alarming. Frank, I was, I was Franklin Graham's Twitter feed that I saw that on, and I, and, and I read the article, and it was just shocking. Because it wasn't just a thousand pastors across America, because there's all kinds of liberal denominations, liberal pastors. This was a thousand evangelical pastors who were surveyed that said that you can get to heaven by doing good deeds. My friends, that's alarming. That is scary. We need to hear truth from the pulpit, and we need to see character displayed in the church. Character was an issue in the days of Jesus. Jesus pointed it out everywhere he went. Hypocrite, hypocrite, Sadducees, the Pharisees, the, you know, looking good on the outside, but on the inside wasn't the real deal. There was no authenticity. There was no real faith. They weren't really followers of Jesus. Jesus commended Nathaniel for his character and his authenticity. Secondly, we need authenticity. We need to be a person of authenticity. Jesus said of Nathaniel, Behold an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. In whom is no deceit. In other words, Jesus was commending the fact that Nathaniel wasn't a fraud and he wasn't a hypocrite. He was a devout man who truly believed in God and believed in Jesus. He studied the law and he studied the prophets. No doubt he'd written 
He'd read the writings of David. Listen to Psalm 15. I'm sure Nathaniel knew this passage. Psalm 15, verse 1. Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? He whose walk is blameless and who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from his heart and has no slander on his tongue, who does his neighbor no wrong, who casts no slur on his fellow man, who despises a vile man but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps his oath even when it hurts, who lends his money without usury and does not accept a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be shaken. And no doubt that was the kind of person that Nathaniel was striving to be. He wasn't perfect, just like you and I are not perfect. But he did have a standard of moral conduct that he strove to live up to, that guided his life. He tried to live and do that which is right. It seems in our day and age, instead of rising up to meet the standard, we just lower the standard so it's easier to achieve. And before long, we don't look anything like the true article. We don't see any true, genuine faith. Jesus didn't commend Nathaniel because he was perfect. He commended him because he was authentic. And part of authenticity is recognizing the fact that we're not perfect. Amen? He had shortcomings. He had things he had to overcome. He didn't try to hide them and act like everything was perfect in his life. He acknowledged the areas where he had needs and the things that he needed to work on. If I were to ask you, what should a Christian look like? What should a Christian look like? What would you say? If in your mind, you immediately, when you hear that question, what should a Christian look like? If in your mind, you start thinking about dress code and the way they should dress and the way they should comb their hair, or any other outward characteristic, then you would fit right in with the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the days of Jesus. Because they measured spirituality by what you looked like on the outside. Jesus didn't look at outward appearances. Jesus looked at the heart. Why is it that we make our lists of what Christians should look like? Because it allows us to look like we have our act together when in reality we don't. We can look like we've got it all together because we've learned the way Christians dress and, and uh, how we part our hair on the left and comb it over to the right and, you know, at least godly people do. And it, <laughs> there we go. You see it there. You know, if we're going to be effective in reaching people in America, we need to hang up our judgmental ways and simply show them the love of Jesus. We need to be the real deal. Not acting like we have everything all together, but demonstrating the fact that even though we don't have it all together, we put our faith in Christ, and we're striving to do better every day in our lives. In his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, Christian author Philip Yancey talks about meeting a prostitute on the streets and sharing the message of Christ with her. And when Philip Yancey suggested that she might seek out a church, she looked at him and said this, and I quote, why would I want to do that? I already feel awful enough about my life. Hmm. 
That's convicting, isn't it? Shouldn't this be a place of acceptance? In love? Don't we want people who are broken and hurting and lost to come and hear the truth and experience the love of Jesus? That wasn't her experience. Her experience is walking into a room full of perfect, perfect people is only going to make me feel worse about myself. We need to stop pretending that we're perfect people and start living the truth. Amen? Jesus commended Nathaniel for being a person of character, for being a person of authenticity, and finally this morning, for being a person of devotion. Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. In all likelihood, Jesus saw him studying the word of God or spending time in prayer. The fig tree allowed Nathaniel the shade and the comfort that he needed to just spend some time with God. Nathaniel didn't learn about God through osmosis. He learned about God by reading God's word, the prophets, the law, pouring over the passages in order to learn about God. He was a man devoted to God, and he was willing to set aside time each day, most likely, to learn about Jesus, the Messiah that was coming. Herb Lockyer says this, If only we could grasp aright the privilege and power of prayer, as well as its nature and necessity, the soil beneath our own fig tree would be wet with the tears of continual petition. If only we had fig trees in our lives where we would sit at the feet of Jesus and pray and learn and listen. Having a heart that truly loves God and desires to know him. Some people, when they hear the word devotion, all they think about is reading three chapters out of the Bible each morning and spending three to five minutes in prayer and you had your devotions And I encourage you not to fall into the trap of thinking that your relationship with God can be boiled down to a formula that involves reading, praying, and attending church. You can do all of those things and be miles away from God. You can do all of those things and your heart can be stone cold. But yet you did your devotions. Larry Osborne, in his book, A Contrarian's Guide to Knowing God, asked this question, why do so many godly people feel ungodly? And his answer caused me to think about what it really means to be spiritual. He said this, I now realize that it had more to do with our faulty definitions of spirituality than anything else. He says, in most cases, these people felt like spiritual failures, not because they were far from God, but because they'd been unable to live up to the generally accepted measures of spirituality. You ever been there? Where you don't feel like you measure up to what generally accepted measures of spirituality would say you should do? Think about the relationships that you have in life. Your spouse, your kids, your friends, your coworkers. Every relationship that you have in life is a little different than the other one, isn't it? Your relationship with your kids is different than your relationship with your coworkers, which is different than your relationship with your spouse, which is different than the relationship with your parents. All of those relationships are a little different. 
So is there a reason that we think that everybody's relationship with God should be the same when every other relationship in our life is different? The reality is some people don't like to read. And yet in our society and in our church culture, we make being a good Christian so dependent on reading. But what about people who don't like to read who are, or who can't read? I mean, you know, just, just a few centuries ago, like 80% of the world couldn't read. How did they have a spiritual relationship with God 200 years ago when the majority of them couldn't read? How did that work? It wasn't until the Christians started Sunday school that people really started to become literate. Does God like people who can read better than people who can't? Now, I'm not trying to make a case for not reading your Bible, okay? So don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm saying that our relationship with God you know, for some of you, you are readers and it's natural. You can gobble up scriptures. You can read chapters a day and you love it. You can read books about God. But some of you say, I can't. I get one paragraph in and I'm done. I don't understand what I read. It doesn't make sense to me. I get bored. My mind wanders and this isn't working for me. There must be something wrong with me. I must not be as good of a Christian as so-and-so. Can I just say, relax? Find the way that you connect with God. Find the way that you can be wholly committed and devoted to him in your special relationship with God. Maybe you do really well by listening to a podcast. Maybe, maybe listening to somebody else read the Bible to you. Maybe that helps you. And there are great apps that, that do that. The Bible app and, and many other apps that will we'll read the Bible to you and you can just, some of you, maybe it's just while you're riding in the car instead of listening to morning talk show, just, just, just listen to scripture. Maybe some of you, you learn better by listening to a sermon or a podcast. Maybe some of you, your best, your best communion with God is in nature and you just sitting out under a tree praying and talking to God in nature. That's the way that you, you really feel that you connect with God. Maybe some of you, it's through music I don't know what works for you, but here's what I know. Find your fig tree. Find where you connect with God best and then connect with God that way. But spend time with him. Nathaniel Bartholomew, son of Ptolemy of Canaan, Galilee, was a follower of Christ indeed. We don't know for sure how he died, but there are three different beliefs. Tradition says three different things. Number one, one tradition says that he was tied up in a sack and cast into the sea. Another says that he was skinned alive for his faith. And a third says that he was crucified upside down. We don't know how he died, but we know how he lived. He was a man of faith, a man of character, a man of authenticity, a man who was devoted to God. And as you examine your life today, can the same be said about you? Are you a person of character? Are you the real deal this morning? 
or are you just really good at putting on a show? I'll never be able to tell. I can't tell by standing up here and looking at your smiling faces whether you have a genuine faith in, in God or not. That's between you and you, you alone, you and God. Let me ask you this. Have you been spending time under your fig tree? Are you pursuing a relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you know him? Do you recognize him as Savior? If not, I just encourage you, pursue a relationship with Jesus Christ. Confess your sin. You say, you know what? I just struggle with sin. It just seems like sin just takes over my life. Listen, Paul understood that. Things I don't want to do, I do. The things I do want to do, I don't. Oh, who will deliver me from the body of death? I thank God in Christ Jesus. He will do it. Listen, until we die, until we are raptured, until we've received a glorified body, we're going to struggle with this body, with this sin. We're going to struggle with it. But don't give up in that battle. Continue to fight to live right, to do what's right, to, to be holy. Do your best. But, but, but spend time with God. Spend time with him in prayer, however you connect best.